Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with co-founder and head of sports science at Forstex and researcher and lecturer at the University of Santander, Dr. Daniel Cohen. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode is one interview that I've been wanting to put out for a couple of weeks now, and that is with uh, co-founder of Forstex, Dr. Daniel Cohen. So anyone that's seen um, Daniel speak or has heard him his, his audio or has seen anything that he's put out, you will know that a paper and a pen is absolutely necessary for this podcast. So anyone that's interested in um, jump monitoring needs to listen very closely. So Daniel goes into tons of tons of detail uh, on this subject, obviously given that this is his thing. Um, so everything from eccentric braking, rate of force development, and I know there's been a lot of chat around um, rate of force development recently. So for them guys that are interested, make sure you listen closely. Um, to eccentric mean power, to single leg jumping versus bilateral jumping. So there's, there's so much that I could list that, um, that Daniel goes into into tons of detail, but it's a just under an hour long, his interview. Um, you may need a couple of pencils if you're using a pencil because you'll probably run out due to the notes that you're making. Uh, but super excited to put this out and I know you'll get tons from it. And the eccentric phase is, is I think, the key gold mine in, 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 in data. Eccentric variables, both from a performance perspective um, and from an injury um, recovery or, or potentially injury risk perspective, in my mind, are, are the really the key added value of a force platform testing. Just before we get into the episode with Daniel, I just want to say a massive thanks to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, for sponsoring this episode today. So I know I say it every time, but I'd encourage you guys to check them out. Um, they are touring the globe at the minute, uh, visiting every conference under the sun, so make sure you go and uh, say hello and have a little look at the products that they are um, showing off, uh, the Nordboard being the Nordboard and the Groin Bar. So a massive thanks for their support, ongoing support to keep this podcast running as it currently is. So enough about that, over to the podcast with Dr. Daniel Cohen. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to Dr. Daniel Cohen. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. Well, thanks a lot. I must say I'm very excited and honoured to be invited with your distinguished line of uh, previous <laughs> invitees. So thank you. That's absolutely fine, mate. It's my pleasure to get you on. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, I know you. we've, just, we've had a little chat before and you've kind of become the... The Forstex guy. <laughs> anyone, that, anyone that doesn't know uh, what else you do, uh, just want to give us a little bit of background on you and, uh, and what you're currently doing. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, basically, uh, probably that's the only thing that people might know me for because I get around a bit with the uh, the Forstex thing. But um, I guess in my my previous life, I was um, I was a lecturer at London Met for about twelve years, um, and I had two. Uh, let's say 
slightly related, but quite different areas of research, lines of research, uh, one around the impact of simulated soccer matches on Ham's quad strength um, with, a, with a colleague of mine there, Andelix Tratt. Um, and the other, which really led me to where I am sitting now in which part of the world, which is uh, Bucamaranga, Colombia, which I may be pronouncing wrong even though I've lived there five years, <laughs> is, um, is physical fitness or more specifically uh, muscle strength as an indicator of cardiometabolic risk in youth. Um, and that ended up bringing me to a faculty position as a researcher and lecturer at the University of Santander or Universidad de Santander, as it's better known. Um, so four steps, as I say, previous life, I mean, I, I began looking and I, I must say I've got listened to Dr. Lake's uh, brilliant prod podcast with you and I'm going to nick his his term the squiggly line um, <laughs> because I, I would say you know obsessed with looking at false time curves but I, I think it's a much better way to describe it is yeah I've become obsessed or since since the squiggly lines have taken over my life um, which which began about 15 16 years ago um, following a reading reading I guess two two papers that really did it for me, which were from from Tim Hewitt and his group, um, American Journal of Sports Medicine. In in I think ninety nine was this was the second one, and 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 was around reducing um, ACL risk in adolescent female athletes. But the the, the one prior to that, it, it began using force platforms in a, looking at landing forces. Um, in relation to uh, injury risk, and and those those papers really kicked off what for me has been uh, where I where I ended up, and I guess the the early seeds of of forced X and and of that obsession. Um, fascination sounds a bit more healthy than obsession, but um, <laughs> I, um, so I went I went to Cincinnati uh, where he was based, and at the time. Greg Myers was was one of his PhD students, who's now sort of got an amazing career of his own in in, in this area, um, and spent a, a week or two there, um, just trying to understand a bit more about what they were doing. And and really, I just felt like that this was uh, really a, a fascinating tool, a useful useful tool for for measuring functional performance, um, and. When I got back to England, um, began to look for ways to beg, borrow, or steal a false platform um, and a means to start to test some people. And, and being being English, uh, I wanted to test footballers. Um, and I had, to, through a series of good fortune, I ended up um, along with a colleague or a, an old friend, uh, Martin Matthews from Salford University, and his colleague. Uh, Dr. Phil Graham Smith, who um, then became, little did we know at the time, ten years later, a, a sort of partner in in in, in fa founding finding found, founding Forstex, um, a, a brilliant biomechanist, um, and we we went in, and the the concept to to go into um, the club we went to was at Manchester United and hence the the uh, the force platform just from down the road at Salford um, to in principle or, or at the start of the, the study the aim was to look at 
the association between false platform variables um, in in a in a quite a large number of tests. Um, which is one of the things I'd probably be embarrassed about now is is the number of different tests we inflicted on on the players, um, and uh, and injury risk in season. Um, that was the that was the 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 idea, um, and you know again an, another sort of point of shame to an extent is 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 the 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 way in which uh, or the time frame in which uh, we delivered. Well, actually, I'll take the blame myself, which I delivered the um, the uh, the data back to them, and, and obviously, the, the, you know, the carrot. There was a, there was a discussion with Rob Swire, the physio at the time, about doing this study, and he was interested. But you know, what's the what's the carrot? The carrot is you you get the data, um, and we we get to do the analysis. Um, um, but maybe the carrot would have been less attractive and a bit um, bit wilted if if. I'd said at the start that, that we were going to get them the data back in uh, in, in late January, um, after having taken it during pre-season, and this was this was, I guess, one of the seeds of uh, a full stacks, and, and and we 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 attempted to um, myself and Phil um, in conjunction with software engineers, but initially just for our own benefit in terms of being able to uh, facilitate research around force platform testing was to uh, speed up that process and bring it down slightly from from six months to well to where we are today in maybe six minutes um, so that you know that was the, that was the 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 seeds of a uh, force decks in that sense but also um, it was a seed in as much as the data that we we had some i guess the most interesting for me at least was the um the data we had on a handful of players who had been injured between when we took the pre-season data uh and around i think it was november they were they were four of them returning to play and we, we did have this opportunity to to test those guys um and the way in which, in in an echo of, or, or in a a similar fashion to to what has come later around the idea of um, of compensatory strategies, or, or let's say use, using force platforms to better understand how force is produced, not just total output and jump height and, and, and peak values, but, but the, the, the time to produce force and, and the rate at which it's produced um, was the way in which consistently the, these, these players were showing a point of return to play or, or close to it, very large deficits in something that I later would find out at the time I didn't really know how to describe the variable because I wasn't very good with with interpreting squiggly lines yet but um was eccentric RFD or, or, or eccentric impulse more or less it's not exactly the same thing but it gives you a, a similar uh, asymmetry value um and despite peak force being essentially where it was prior to the injury so so that first opened my eyes to um the potential value, and in a way, not as a, as a sports scientist rather than a physio, but I got fascinated more initially by the way in which I felt this might be a, a really useful 
tool in terms of rehabilitation, monitoring, pro- monitoring progression, directing rehab, return to play, etc. So that's kind of how I um, got started with that with that problem. <laughs> no, that's all. no, absolutely, that's great stuff, mate. I mean, just can you just describe to us uh, in kind of layman's terms what eccentric breaking rate of force development is? So what we're looking at there, and this is um, really during the during the um the counter movement jump and of course this this is important point to make this is this is a measure you'll get in a in a counter movement jump during the the descent phase um initially there's an unloading part where force goes down and then there's a inflection or an increase in force and and then you that leads to the point at which you have a a measurable um, rate of force development in the eccentric phase, and there, there's a couple of time points that have been looked at, and some would call eccentric braking or eccentric deceleration. But none, nonetheless, they're they're both assessing um, the way the 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 magnitude and the, the the steepness of of force rise during the eccentric phase of that count move so that the, the athlete is still going in the downward direction they're breaking if you like into the point of, uh, of slowing them down to reach the uh, the the bottom point of that of that cmj mm-hmm. so so with the with the stuff you're doing at united that was that was just on a single single force platform it wasn't a it wasn't a dual platform no was at that time no so Borrowing one was was all was all we could manage at the time, and and you know although having had that kind of ex- that experience at the lab in Cincinnati and 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 what they were doing with two platforms, what we had to do was use to do asymmetries um, was to use left and right tests. So you know, left jump and then the right jump to do asymmetry rather than with the dual platform, which is what which is what. You know, Hewitt's group were doing was a, was a double platform, you know, two two alongside and, and doing a, a bilateral test um, and gaining asymmetry information, particularly in the landing they they were interested in at the time um, during that bilateral test. And, and and notably, I mean, you you do get different asymmetries in in doing a single leg jump as as opposed to a, a bilateral jump with left and right simultaneous measurement if that makes sense so um and you might then characterize that um as compensatory strategies um which you see when you have both feet on the ground uh, or there's the opportunity for for compensatory strategies i.e avoidance of loading load acceptance in the in the landing or 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 breaking loading during the eccentric phase as well as the i guess more traditional concept of left and right asymmetries being fundamentally strength related um what we started to see i guess more and more and this was and this was um Something I think first brought out with the Impilirezi in 2006 with the with the budget the budget dual force platform system, which is basically a single platform and a piece of wood the same height, and you stand facing one way, do your bilateral jump, one foot on the block, one foot on the force platform, then you turn the other way and you get the other 
the other side of the performance. Obviously, it's not actually in the same trial, but you kind of put in the mean of those left and rights together. Um, and that's what we would do. I mean, we, we went and I was, I was spending quite a bit of time with a, with a, a physio who used to work with the FA by the name of Phil Edwards, who, who was really keen on, he was actually one of my students at one time, and he'd, he'd sort of caught me waffling, or you, you remembered the, me waffling about this <laughs> stuff in, in, in class, and he contacted me and said, I'd like to do that with some of my, my patients who were, um, he, these, these were sort of semi-pro footballers and some of them guys that he'd used to work with in academy that were still coming to see him um, years later. And... Um, and, and actually finding that this this approach with this borrowed, uh, we borrowed a false platform from somewhere else then, um, and this piece of wood, and, and that particularly in the landing phase, there were these, I guess, forced distribution asymmetries that seemed to narrow and sometimes didn't um, during rehab, and that were also in, in certain instances seemed to be um, resolved, you know, resolved through through relatively short periods of training that you, you, you felt that there wasn't just a it wasn't just that it was to do with not having enough strength on one side, but there was there was other things going on and that, that maybe there was tendonitis which resolved and that allowed more force to be applied through the other limbs. So, you know, there was a variety of factors. It kind of confused the issue a little bit in terms of it, you know, maybe simplistic view and me as a sports scientists with an interest in strength and condition is one side's lower will make it stronger you know that that's the answer um but there, there were often other factors that were, were seemed to be playing into that mm -hmm. so obviously there's a, there's a lot of people out there who maybe still are but maybe started with the outcome as the um as the measure that they're looking for i.e jump height is yeah. that is that a good place to start it, where where should people go from there if that's where they're at or that's where they're, they're yeah. just moving from? Yeah, I mean, that is a fundamental question and it's one that practitioners who are looking to bring in force platforms into their environment and, and, and particularly if they are bringing force platforms into an environment that already has um, opto-jumps or, or contact mats, i.e. a means to measure jump height, uh, need to be able to answer. Now, of course... Uh, you had a, a great conversation <clears throat> with um, Dr. Lake, and, and he spoke about um, some of the uh, the weaknesses with um, estimating um, jump height from from flight time, and 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 that's definitely worth a listen. Um, I mean, my feeling still is that if if you're bringing in a force platform, it, it shouldn't just be to only measure jump height, and that's notwithstanding the the applications to isometric testing but if if the only variable you're going to look at in a cmj or in a in a squat jump is jump height um unless you've got lots of cash you you probably i'm not sure that you can justify that the the additional expense of force platforms um now that maybe doesn't make me a very good businessman from a forced with a forced x hat on um but and, and even worse when i tell you that i've when I when I hear um, that new clients have just measured jump height and they continue to just measure jump height, I've wanted to I've had to bite my tongue because I wanted to say give it back. You can't you can't have a false platform and just measure jump height, but of course they can. They that's 
well within their rights and 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 they end up um migrating to look at other variables over time um so i i can accept that but the real added value um and let's leave aside dual platforms for a moment and just talk about force platform um added value um over over a, a timing device in the measurement of jump height and stick to that for a second or, or for a few minutes most likely um if you but now you've got me going um is that what you're getting in the in the force platform measurement of jump height of, of jump performance is um intelligence on the strategy the athlete is using the strategy in a sense the biomechanical strategy how long are they spending in the eccentric phase how long are they spending in the concentric phase how long are they spending in that whole contraction uh, contraction phase um the landing so the landing i'll always come back to that my favorite topic the landing and, and we will i'm sure come back to that a little bit later but you don't get any information on landing in a in a in a contact or a, a time based system um the, the, in terms of the forces you obviously get the point of landing um and the eccentric phase is is i think the key the key gold mine in 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 data if we if we leave the um we leave the landing part aside um and eccentric variables and the eccentric variables both from a performance perspective um and from an injury um recovery or, or potentially injury risk perspective um in my mind are are the really the key added value of a force platform testing um so the work of Cormac in the first place his group um around looking at strategy of of the jump i flight contraction time how long did they spend in the air relative to how long it it took to get to the air i from the the beginning of the movement until toe off um and rob gathercole more recently with eccentric durations um so just just looking at the duration of the eccentric phase um time to peak force time to peak power um all of those duration and 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 how the force is produced and the time it takes to do so those those variables which I guess you can call strategy but also um the way in which force is produced um those are those have been shown to be uh, more sensitive variables in terms of monitoring um the response to competition or or simulated fatigue um at different time points at 24 hours at 72 hours um and the the work of those groups is 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 definitely sort of landmark in that respect uh, and highlighting particularly something around the concept of neuromuscular fatigue measuring measurement in jumps and whether that applies to running uh running sports and i think it's it's a you know it's a question you often get from from players um obviously not volleyball and and basketball players but you know why am i jumping i don't jump in my sport or i don't do a lot of jumping in a match you know i heard that many many times um and you know the 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 response there is is you know that 2013 paper which shows 
um, Cormac's paper showing with accelerometry in, in, in the matches and looking at flight contraction time during the week and showing that decreases in flight contraction time um, predict decreases in acceleration, um, high, the highest zone of running in the match. And so jump performance being an indicator of the potential to produce repeated and high-intensity run performance. And I think that's critical um, to, to, to bear in mind and have that understanding and that in the armory that this is, this is a neuromuscular, lower body neuromuscular performance test. We're not necessarily measuring jump performance, um, although you might want a leaderboard to get, you know, player buy-in to, to look at jump height and, and compare jump heights. But peeling back a, a layer of the onion is that, is that area of, um, of, of timing and so forth. So for me, that eccentric phase of the, of the CMJ, if you can get some consistency um, in, in the performance of that eccentric phase, which is sometimes easier said than done, um, will yield some, some really interesting variables and that have already been captured as far as the research in terms of the, the durations. Um, and then we have Cormie's work, which talks about uh, eccentric RFDs, um, eccentric power, eccentric mean power is is another one that uh, seems to hold some promise, um, and certainly the 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 concept of assessing um, a high speed eccentric performance, um, which is what you're what you're doing in terms of that braking phase, that deceleration phase during the CMJ. Um, is is really interesting. So obviously, Shields and Opal have, have shown you know the importance of eccentric um, hamstring in terms of injury risk. Um, I think within the CMJ, you have the potential to have a a really easily accessible marker of of anterior chain eccentric performance, um, which uh, you know will have relationships to uh, both performance. Uh, potentially injury risk and certainly um, recovery or residuals post-injury. So added value with the dual platforms. Well, almost everyone's going to do um, a bilateral test of some sort, a bilateral CMJ or, or drop jump or, or squat jump or in some cases many of these. And so while you're doing the bilateral jump, you're getting, with one foot on each platform, you're getting this simultaneous assessment of asymmetry you know notwithstanding that it's going to be slightly different than the than the individual legs but um there, there's no extra time cost of of, of getting that asymmetry so we're, we're all pushed with time if we've got large squads and and so forth and the, the 30 40 seconds it takes you to to do this bilateral jump you're getting um asymmetries across those three phases the eccentric concentric and the landing phase um and then you can go off and and elaborate with other jump tests or, or other strength tests, single limb tests to, to um, try and understand better where those asymmetries are and, um, and what, whether they're related to avoidance or whether they're true, let's say inverted commas, true strength asymmetries. Um, so, and, and in the, in the asymmetry, in, in the eccentric, there's a, there's a case study that, that, 
really is in the forefront of my mind recently. And I worked with um, Jared Antflick, who um, does tendon scans with um, total performance and does this in the EPL and NBA. And and um, we overlapped in as much as there was false platform data, dual false platform data for a player that there was also tendon scan data for and showing te- patellar tendonitis um, and showing a 50% asymmetry in the eccentric deceleration. So the rate of force rise during the descent phase of that CMJ, 50% asymmetry is much, I mean, basketball players can be pretty asymmetrical, but this is a couple of standard deviations even away from the norm. So, and plus symptomatic. So the interesting thing there is 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 the way in which, you know, that was an asymmetry which... Um, which actually went in the reverse direction, as you might expect. Generally, the avoidance strategy or the the the, the side with it with an injury or which has just been injured will show lower levels of force. Okay, so that's kind of the expected way around. Um, in this case, it was the side with the tendonitis had had the higher levels of force or the high levels of rate of force development. Um, so piecing the puzzle together and, 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 and digging a little bit, this player had had a ligament injury on, on the on the contralateral side. Um, I, I can't remember how long before it was. Um, which the the team, i.e. the team behind the team, suspected that maybe what was happening there was was um the the additional loading on, on this side that now had patella tendonitis was was created by this avoidance of loading the the the, the previous ligament side um, so what they did was to was to work on um, in season this was this was a player that was still playing and and to work on the acceptance of load and the 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 eccentric um, control eccentric loading um, on the the side with the previous injury and what is really stunning, and I mean, this is this is um, you know the, the the work they did. Um, six weeks later, looking at the asymmetries, asymmetries had gone down by twenty five percent in the in the eccentric phase. Um, they were now asymptomatic um, with the scan um, and and subjectively, and what you had was this 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 reduction in in eccentric D cell RFD. So it was as if by Increasing the capacity of that other limb, or the or the willingness of, of the player to load that that other limb, the 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 limb with the tendonitis um, was now having to do less of the work and and was now asymptomatic. So there's a there's a real change in 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 a fairly short period of time. Um, but what's what's um, really interesting about that as well is and nice from the performance perspective is that bilateral performance also improved. Um, so and and the and the bit that 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 kind of highlights is this chicken or the egg. You know, is the asymmetry there because of the injury, or is it causing the injury, if you like, or or, or part of an, an injury process or a, or an inflammatory process, um, or causing causing that direction of change. Um, another example, and this is this is a this is just talks to the whole thing about about how force is produced and how and force and you know force over time. So, um, a player in tested 
um, at first time point of um, uh, of clearance for for jump testing. This is a, this is a soccer player, elite soccer player, um, and looking at six weeks later changes in bilateral performance first. Okay, bilateral performance. What's happened? Jump high. Now, again, this is a, this is a case study. I've been mean, this was a this was a knee injury. Um, six weeks later, jump height had increased by uh, around twenty-five to thirty percent. Fantastic, nine centimeter increase in jump height. Um, pitch on a straight line running, uh, large increases in in speed. Um, Increases in RSI model, flight contraction time, which are fairly similar, don't kill me, but it's uh, it's sort of fairly similar variables, um, which is a, a measure of efficiency. Eccentric D-cell RFD improved substantially as well. However, however, what was really telling or really um, powerful about this particular case study is that despite these improvements, and, and certainly the efficiency was slightly less in, le, less of an increase, and the eccentric phase eccentric RFD slightly smaller increase as well, is that relative to where they were then when they were healthy, and we had in this case a, a healthy profile for that player at that second time point, jump height they were only seven percent away from their healthy value so you'd say right that's that's great you know we're, we're, we're pretty close rsi mod stroke flight contraction time they were around 25 percent to 25 to 30 sorry in deficit relative to their healthy values and in eccentric rfd they were around 40 percent away or 40% lower than their seat. So this comes back to that original stuff we saw in, in, in Manu all those years ago. But just based on the improvement, you might suspect that we had we, we were going in the right direction with everything. But the, the rate at which we were get going in the right direction was was in the concentric phase far superior than any of the, 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 the markers of eccentric force, production, or efficiency. And you wouldn't know unless you had benchmark data. So, um, a, a, a client in the in the NFL, um, Keith Gray, is a, um, just recently started working with us, and, and he said something I thought was was very poignant: is that you know, if nothing else, if nothing else, we'll have benchmark data. So. The starting point was not necessarily player profiling and informing training programs and, and, and fatigue readiness monitoring and, and all of these things, but simply having a, a, a true benchmark of neuromuscular performance. And, you know, they've gone on and done other things with the system and, and, uh, and so forth. But, you know, I'm convinced that that is a valid, um, a valid and powerful reason to 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 have bilateral and asymmetry um, individual limb, I should say, and, and therefore asymmetries and bilateral performance data, uh, neuromuscular performance data, and a functional test like a jump for for every athlete. So as always, just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Dan. Hope you enjoyed part one. 
So in part two, um, more fantastic information from uh, from Daniel on uh, counter movement jump and the benefits of using force plates and the, the the measures that you can get out of force plates and how can how that can inform decision making moving forward. So I just want to say a quick shout out to another sponsor of the episode today, and that is Coach Me Plus. So anyone that doesn't know uh, who Coach Me Plus are, a company based in Buffalo, who are a basic an athlete management system. So athlete management system being a, a hub for all different types of data that can be pulled in and analyzed and interpreted in one place from velocity-based training data to sleep data to GPS, heart rate, heart rate variability, etc., etc. So I'd encourage you to check them out uh, on Twitter at CoachMePlus and on their website at CoachMePlus.com. And if there's anyone out there who is wanting that kind of solution, um, definitely uh, get in touch with those guys and, and get a demo sorted out. So I hope you enjoy part two. Uh, I'm sure you will. Keep that pencil sharp and I'll speak to you soon. Just one thing I want to confirm, Dan, eccentric mean power. You just want to talk us through that very quickly. Well, so it's um, it's one that I first saw for in, a, in a presentation of, of Dr. now Dr. Ben Rosenblatt, who's, who's now at the FA and was at um, the English Institute of Sport in Hockey and has, you know, the EIS as the short term for them have, you know, done some some great stuff over the years, have been have been working with force platforms for years and years. In fact, using originally Dr. Graham Smith's um, spreadsheet, so um, which, which most people in England have used at some time or another and which is then embedded into, into force decks under the bonnet. But um, going off track, it's... Um, so um that measure is 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 velocity um the velocity across the across the eccentric phase um times the force over the force over the whole over the whole phase um so it's it's um it's getting slightly different from the RFD um which doesn't have a velocity component. It has a component of how fast you're applying force, but doesn't have an actual velocity component to it. Um, and what he presented was was just sort of doing a, a median split in in those were high and low eccentric mean powers. One of one of the one of the the the, the mediator variables and showing that that was those with with uh, with lower eccentric mean power were um, more susceptible to fluctuations in neuromuscular performance when they had lots of games you know um, a, a high density of competition um, and and we've had some feedback from from other clubs and we've had some I guess some some sort of preliminary data and, and where that variable, low values in that variable, for example, were associated with with large shifts in 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 asymmetry during preseason, or in a in 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 teams identifying players that were vulnerable to injury, and then looking at those tended to have lower eccentric mean power variables. Again, it needs to be examined in a more robust way, but this you know statistically robust way, um, but it. Yeah, that that seems to be a variable of promise in terms of looking at, at as a marker of robustness. With the with the guys that are using um, 
the guys and teams that are using force decks, Dan, is there a some sort of sharing of data and injury data so that that kind of large scale study could be done? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because maybe this will um, this will inspire them again, and it's 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 <laughs> off, off off season. Um, this was the original idea with the with the Manchester United study, um, but I mean I think the the sample wasn't big. I mean it was 85 players, but it was mixed you know, academy, first team, reserves. What what we have. Um, is at the moment a, a a verbal agreement, and hopefully this will come to fruition as a, a, in in practice amongst around eight and nine, maybe ten, if we can get to the the um, the, the numbers we need to examine the association between both bilateral, I say, eccentric mean power as a variable, or eccentric RFD as a as a as a bilateral variable, and asymmetries in during this bilateral CMJ um, and injury risk prospectively across a, a season in, in elite soccer. So we've got several EPL teams and, and, and a couple of La Liga teams um, involved in, in that study and, and hopefully that's something that will be um, processed partly during this off-season um, and then we'll, we'll keep going and, and hopefully that will yield some, some answers because at the moment I don't, you know, there isn't there isn't the cut points that you'd have um, or, or, or the, the sort of studies like uh, like Dr. Shields and Dr. Opar have done in terms of eccentric uh, hamstring um, and I think particularly mentioning these eccentric mean power RFD is, is this the way in which we can get some anterior chain eccentric uh, force time variables, which, you know, how else, again, where would you go to get that? Probably need to go to an isokinetic dynamometer, which is, you know, never going to be a feasible, regular means of monitoring um, in, in elite sport, at least not in, you know, groups of players. So I think there's there's a lot we can learn about both performance in the uh, the way in which that eccentric phase might relate to performance. Um, you know, deceleration is is a key aspect of performance, and also in terms of controlling forces uh, in relation to to injury risk. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about landing forces where yeah. your heart is really at. Yeah, it's true, so- and. That- <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. Um, uh, yeah. So, why, why, is, why do you feel that's so important? Well, you know, and, and this is—I must say—people that I think are not, know a lot more than me sometimes have made me feel a little sad when they say um, they don't—they <laughs> they don't put much—they don't give it much credit. Now, um, and say it's a bit of a paradox because landing forces, for example, if we just look at landing force asymmetry which is I think the most exciting bit of the landing force story I still think um, if you look at landing force asymmetry and if I go and I just go to a club and I, I test 10 players in pre-season and I look do five trials of a CMJ and you'll go you'll look at a couple of these guys and you go trial one 10% right landing force asymmetry trial two 5% left trial three 15% right 
and and that type of and, and that variability is one of the reasons is probably is is the main reason which leads people to throw it out as a variable okay and then let's go to post ankle injury post acl post cartilage injury post foot injury and all of a sudden five trials 35% right asymmetry second 32% third 36% that variability suddenly disappears or oh, suddenly i mean it's different it's obviously different athletes but the that for me is the is the paradox right so there's something in it and and you know again go back to the the the, the large body of work in drop jump and in in drop jump landing one particularly but Late, more recently, they've shown in the second landing as well, those asymmetries being related to ACL, um, prior ACL, and being related, you know, in, in such a way that, you know, a year, two years beyond, you're still seeing these residuals, you're still seeing these asymmetries. Um, now, we, we started doing drop jumps in, in various places, and, and what we found, you know, in in, in football, for example, that the drop jump, um, when we when we did when we did the drop jump at Man U all those years ago, I can remember the only player that had had done the drop jump before was Van Nistelrooy, and and the others, you know, hadn't hadn't seen a drop jump before at that time um, or hadn't done one, um, and and here we have the problem is that it, it's a technical thing to do it takes some familiarization and you know despite being elite athletes it may take a, a longer while to familiarize so and then and then you have the the less willingness to do this as a test let's say in season so the cmj you know becomes this core test well let's look at let's let, let's look at the cmj you know everyone can do it um you'll get there's a whole host of other sort of performance variables that you get out of it. So let's look at the landing forces in a CMJ. And this is what we started to do. And we, we did this, um, we did this at Arsenal over, over four years, um, with, uh, you know, Colin Lewin was, uh, was fantastic to, uh, to, um, kind of, uh, uh, open the door to start looking at that there. Um, and we, we, that, that's actually a, an abstract, but we've, we've added to the, we've added to the, the data, um, pool in that and it showed the same results essentially the if you looked at play, players fit players in pre-season and looked at the injury history the previous year lower any now it was any lower extremity injury so it wasn't exclusive and in fact in the in the in the players that we looked at Arsenal none of them were ACL injuries so this was completely you know a, a different type of population than, than Hewitt and Myers and so forth been looking at. Any lower extremity, ankles, um, other knee ligament injuries, um, muscle injuries. And the only variable, I must say, that we didn't have four decks at the time. So th there was fewer fewer parameters analysed just because it was it was just difficult to do so. And, and in terms of the, the asymmetry that showed the strongest and significant difference in terms of players that had been injured the previous season, those that hadn't, was peak landing force in the CMJ. That was the one that stood out. It, it wasn't peak takeoff force. It wasn't single leg jump height. Um, it wasn't drop jump asymmetry. It was, it was, um, 
peak landing force. Um, and of course, you know, we, we unfortunately we didn't we didn't look at the time eccentric or concentric impulse, and maybe that would would show something else. But I don't think so. Certainly, the concentric impulse, as represented by the the single leg jumps, there was no significant difference in players with previous injuries or not. So, with the bilateral landing on the CMJ, what what appears to be happening is that. There is an avoidance, and, and almost all the time, although there are some exceptions, almost all the time, the the landing forces are higher on the uninvolved side. And that's true during rehab, and that's true for, for months and, and, and beyond, year or more after. And we see that the, the, the ligament injuries and the ankle injuries seem to be even more stark in terms of that asymmetry um, in landing being present and being consistent. Um, we, with um, Carl Wells and, and Ian Aylwood at the, the, the St. George's part of the PFA program, they, there's, a, there's a study they've um, been leading there on, on post-ACL um, footballers in um, from the PFA program and looking at asymmetries and and actually so the landing force a the mean landing force asymmetry is around seventy I think eighteen uh, percent the mean eccentric D cell RFD asymmetry mouthful is is around twenty one percent so so it, the eccentric may may even be more telling and and concentric twelve percent um, having said that. Um, having said that, the there is a, a real variation in the profile across different players, i.e. there are players who have very low concentric asymmetries, very high eccentric and very low landing, or high landing and eccentric asymmetry and low concentric or high concentric. So various combinations. And I think the idea that you can quickly assess um, asymmetries across these three, three phases, one, and two, that they don't track in the same way. In other words, the, div the, the progression or the reduction in asymmetry that you would hope to see through rehab um, doesn't follow, doesn't parallel across those three phases. I mean, occasionally it does, but you can't guarantee that just because the concentric asymmetry is is narrowing that that will mean the eccentric and the landing are also doing so so it's understanding being able to understand if you're achieving the desired effect what we've seen in individuals um with repeated tests is typically the the involved limb in terms of its landing force absolute value often doesn't progress. It doesn't get worse, but it, it doesn't progress or it, it, it increases very slightly. Now, what then happens? You get the athlete come back, they jump another 10 centimeters, their impact forces go up by a thousand newtons. And where does that extra thousand newtons go? Well, 950 of it go onto the uninvolved side. And so you get this potentially this increase in landing force asymmetry, which is suggesting that that involved limb is is not getting worse at accepting forces, but for some reason it, it's not progressing in its ability to accept forces. Mm -hmm. 
that's superb. There's, there's so much there, and sorry. so I've got so many sorry. questions. No, no, it's sorry. fine, mate. It's absolutely okay. fine, mate. No, no, no. It's all good. So, just one, th- a couple of questions that I've got <clears throat> written down was, like you say, it's it's certain measures are more sensitive to different players in a population. So, how how could a practitioner? I mean, I, I'm kind of guessing the answer, but how could the practitioner know? which is sensitive to each person without just, I mean, is the, is the answer just run tests, get them to jump, get, yeah. build a profile? I guess that's what, that, that to me is a logical answer. I mean, I think you need to, if you know where they started is a key thing. Yeah. Because as I said, and I, I, I often, I mean, I, I would show this case study i've shown it in a couple of instances with obviously just the 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 results um and looking at with all three so saying this is where they started this was where they were mid injury mid rehab and then i sort of so hold on a minute let me take out the the benchmark data let me take out the healthy data, and you see these massive great improvements in everything and so that's what i mean about but those improvements represented you were still you were still miles away mm-hmm. from from where you were for that variable so i think that's you know as keith grape was you know if nothing else you've got you need baseline data and that that's that's a key so you know to an extent you say well what am i going to do with this data well you you may not have the performance concept context to influence you know, my my naive stuff was, you know, I remember one of the Man U players in 2001, about 2002, got saying, before he even got on the platform, said, oh, I'm rubbish at jumps. So very, <laughs> I won't say who it was, but it stunned me. I thought, you know, as a, as a naive sports scientist, you know, uh, very naive because I'm obviously jump high is not power, it's, it's impulse. But I thought that is lower body power. How can you just be you know, happy or, or accept that, you know, you've got this low. Um, but if you, your performance context isn't one where they're going to address, you you you, can't, you may want to, there may not be the context that this may not be why you're doing the jump. You may not know why you're doing the jump, but I can tell you that this will provide you some information relevant for the occasions where athletes get injured. And obviously, we know there are those. So, how do you know? Well, you test. Um, do you need to always do, th- you know, five jumps if you've got a guy coming back in rehab? Maybe not. Maybe you're going to reduce the number. Um, you know, reducing the number gives you slightly, you know, less reliability on on that test. The the means are probably the best to u- best to use. But I think the idea is that, you know, the the, I guess the old model for me when I when I study sports, you know, every six weeks you you test or, or you know these kind of long periods. That's when strength testing happens. Whereas this is something that, yes, let's have a snapshot, you know, next week or two weeks later or or, or in a, in a relatively sh- with a relatively short space between the tests and and see what the response is to the workload that's being applied, you know, in rehab. And the, the, the same way that people are looking at this in, in fatigue readiness, you know, they're not waiting necessarily. They may wait six weeks, but, the, you know, the, so, you know, inverted commas, ideal is a, is a more regular evaluation of the response to workload. And just thinking back, that was probably two years, or was two years after they won the Champions League? 
So right. you get the best players in the world at United at that point. It, it was amazing. I was, and and what struck out in my mind actually was um, was Roy Keane sitting there with we brought a, well, I don't think we had like McArdle catch or, or it was it was an exercise physiology or, or I don't think it was a biomechanics textbook I think it was and, and he just sitting there on uh, sort of reading his way through it and asking <laughs> loads of questions because um, obviously he'd had a I think prior to that he'd had an ACL and so he yes. was really interested in that um, but yeah it was it was yeah I was kind of a bit awestruck um, you know <laughs> yeah but um, I mean, just I, I know you're not keen to turn this into a um, a sales pitch with Force, De- Force Dex, but you've mentioned a lot of variables that people may not be completely okay with. It, I mean, in Force Dex, that's gonna they're gonna be identified, aren't they? They're identified yeah. for you rather than you having to find them. Yeah, I mean, out. yeah, I mean, I think the 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 drawback, I guess, it's, I think highlighted by someone at, at, at St Mary's, and I think. At, um, uh, EIS as well was that if you put this in the hands of a um, of a sort of you know fresh S and C coach, they're never going to learn how how you get those variables and really you know how they're what they mean um, mm-hmm. except it's on a superficial level and 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 I think well you know that's you know part of our job is 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 to educate around that but in the you know in the day-to-day what you want is yes the ability to um to with a click of a button have robust algorithms applied to the force time data that i guess the, the 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 drawback of that is you know you have jumps that are done or isometric pulls or, or whatever test you're doing on a force platform because it doesn't have to be jumps done very badly then you get bad results and and therefore and that can skew your means and so you kind of still needed a degree of knowledge to under, to be able to look at a force time curve to look at that squiggle and 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 uh, or at least know what a weird number is <laughs> you know, because yeah. that's, I mean, sometimes we, we laugh, but I, I mean, I've had, you know, okay, so we've got a jump height of two centimeters. Something's gone wrong, you know, in the way, and, and there's, you know, we've got all this auto detect of, 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 of takeoff and landing of start of movement. And, but, you know, there, it, it's, there's not a little, there's Phil Graham Smith's brain isn't inside the system. We've tried to, but it wouldn't fit. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it's, it's depending on, you know, th- certain time points and things being done in, in, in a, you know, in a proper way. So, um, but the, so with a long list, I mean, the way we've done it is just to, it is to, is to kind of have both extremes, you know, in the sense you can look at four variables, um, in a graphic form, or you can look at, dare I say, you know, 65 or 70 or anything in between. So the idea is that guy that I nearly took, stole the platform back from because he was just <laughs> looking at jump, jump height. Um, can, uh, Canon, in fact, did of his own accord and with a little bit of, you know, discussion around what might be next to look at and interesting to look at 
starts to look at you know a handful more variables and and, and in a sense that that process will probably happen will more likely happen when they're working with an individual athlete in, in rehab than in a pre-season squad of you know 15 20 players or dare I say 75 if you're in the NFL yeah. um, but I think it's important to have the capacity to to grow into those and start to look at the, the other layers in your own time, you know, without some half English, half Colombian kind of sports <laughs> scientist breathing down your neck and saying, give it back. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone that wants to know more about Forstex, where can they go? We've got a new website, is that right? Our new website coming? We've got, well, yeah, well, we've got a website of sorts. It's, um, it's uh, a good friend of mine says it's crap. Um, but, um, so, you know, being a good friend, I assume, you know, he's just been honest and, and, and that's it. And, um, so it is, it's okay. You know, you've got some videos on there. You can see how things work. Um, we, you know, I, I don't mind saying it, it's crap. If it is, um, it will be improved. But the thing mm -hmm. with us is, as I guess we, we've just kind of grown through word of mouth around, you know, the product. Um, the way we, you know, talk to and, and, and support uh, clients and, and, and that sort of thing. So it hasn't been, you know, a major marketing exercise. I don't think, I don't think it's needed that. Um, but we, we, you know, we, we do, we, you, if, if you, you know, if you, <laughs> just as a word of warning before you look at it, um, there's some good information on there. Um, but ideally, you know, get in touch with me. I'm sure you'll, you'll leave the, uh, the, the email address on there and, and we've got we've yeah. got a Twitter account and stuff um, so yeah uh, forstex.com so yeah, uh, Daniel Cohen 1971 at gmail.com uh, Cohen at forstex.com um, Twitter at forstex yeah, yeah something like that yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah no that's all good that's all good mate well Thank you again. Uh, massive thanks for your time and your expertise because I've got so many questions there that it could just go on forever. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for that. Really appreciate it. Um, and I'll make sure I'll put all the links out with the podcast so people can make sure people can get in touch and ask, ask away because I'm sure there's tons yeah. of questions. Great. Cool. Thank well, you. Dan, we'll keep, we'll keep in touch. Yeah. And, uh, and thanks again. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Dr. Daniel Cohen. So, like I mentioned at the start, I'm sure you've guys, you guys have got tons of notes, just like I have, um, flicking through this book uh, that I use every time we do podcasts. There's a full two pages worth of, of notes from, uh, from this chat with Daniel. Um, so, just moving forward, if you are enjoying uh, the content that's on the podcast, make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. Um, so you get updates when um, when episodes go live. So don't forget, every Thursday morning, UK time, um, a podcast will be entering your chosen podcast player. Um, so I, I, And again, I'd love um, any feedback that you've got uh, and any ratings and reviews that you feel kind enough to give on iTunes or, like I say, other podcast players that you're using. That would massively be appreciated. So keep in touch. And I will speak to you soon.